Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Boston Balling. I'm your host, Gabby Hurlbutt. NBA playoffs, we are in the thick of it now. It's super exciting. A lot of good matchups going on here. Definitely um, a lot of things to talk about. It's it's really a great time of the year right now. Really um, awesome to be a basketball fan at this time of the year. Definitely a, a lot of good teams right now in the playoffs. A lot of uh, things that, you know, are unpredictable. It's going to be hard to say uh, who's going to, uh, you know, end up on top at the end of it all when it's said and done. Um, so definitely a lot to talk about. Hope everyone's off to a great start to their week. It's Tuesday. So hope everyone is, uh, you know, enjoying themselves, having a uh, good week. I appreciate everyone listening to the show, tuning in as always. I am really excited to introduce my guest that I have with me tonight. Um, you know, been doing Celtics content for a while, radio, play-by-play, -play, voice of the Boston Celtics, however you guys uh, know him as. Um, Sean Grande, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I like that you call it content. That's that's very generational. I have to remember that from now on. That I've been <laughs> providing content. I haven't been doing games on TV and radio or play by play. I've been providing content for Yeah, that's that's kind of a uh, the yeah. new uh, new terminology now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but um yeah, I appreciate you joining me on my show. I know everyone is uh definitely really looking forward to having you here talk a little bit of Celtics with me. Before we kind of dive into all that though, could you just give everybody kind of a little bit of a sense of your journey, how you really got involved in the industry? Uh I couldn't hit a curveball. That's basically uh that was the, that was the start of the play. The start of the play-by-play -play career happened like most 5-year-olds with a tape recorder and calling games off tv but it really begins when you're i had great plans gabby to play second base for the mets that was my career you know career career day was yeah, what are you gonna do i'm gonna be a fireman i'm gonna play second base for the mets and then when it became apparent that uh, kids who grow up in uh, greenwich village in manhattan tend not to have great athletic opportunities and our knees tend to be pretty much scraped up and done by the time we're eight so that was pretty much the end of that and I, it was all I really ever wanted to do. And I've been lucky enough to never pretty much have to have a real job. And uh, I went to school in Boston to, uh, to BU to pursue it and took every opportunity I could take, which is what I always tell, tell kids just starting out. Always say yes to every opportunity and, you know, knock on wood. After a few years of radio here, there were always games to do. And uh, I got a call in 1998, I think, that changed my life to do good TV in Minnesota, and I've been in the NBA ever since. Yeah, it's always interesting see, uh, hearing about where people get that first job because sometimes it's those places that nobody really ideally wants to go or you'd expect yourself to end up. But like you said, you can't really say no to those types of opportunities because that's what's going to help you develop your career. Well, I'll give you an example. You know, in speaking to this is what you have. In speaking to large groups, there are play-by-play -play camps now. Like they didn't have that stuff when I was a kid, but now you can go speak at a play-by-play -play camp and sit there with an entire room full of kids who want to do play-by-play. -play. And if you're here, say, in Boston doing one, you say, listen, how many of you want to be the voice of the Boston Red Sox? And almost all the hands go up, and that's where you make your point. Like how many of those jobs are there? There are 100 major league play-by-play -play jobs in the entire country, let alone for each individual team, but at two or three, depending on if there's TV or radio or whatever it is. So you have to be able to do – a lot of different things. The the art of what I do, my my trade to me is being able to do multiple sports. Can you do all the sports on TV and radio? And when somebody says, when you're 26, this happened to me. Someone said, "Hey, the the guy we have doing 
Major League Soccer doing the revolution is off at the World Cup. Can you do soccer? Gabby, what's the answer to that question? Yes. Yes. I had never been to a soccer game, you know, in my life. But the answer is yes. So you go and do it. And the same as, a, you know, as a grown-up, finger quotes, as a grown-up, when they asked me if I wanted to do MMA, I, I decided to jump off a cliff and do it because that's the that's the challenge, right? It's like – it's exciting to do NBA games and to do this amazing playoff series that we're going to be in the middle of, but I've done about 2000 of them. So I'm not, you know, I know I can do that. It's what's the next challenge. Can you do MMA? Can you do boxing? Can you do this thing at the, at the highest level? So always say yes. And then try not what, if you're lucky enough, even to get a job, don't lock yourself into that. Always try to find a way in broadcasting and your job and in your life to, to say yes. Yeah, I feel like it's only going to be you're only going to go so far if you look for ways to improve yourself constantly. You can't be kind of stuck doing the same thing. You have to be, you know, you might be really happy in your situation that you're in, but there's always ways for you to continue to grow and improve. And that really goes for anything, no matter what people are doing. And being able to find those opportunities is really what's just going to help you continue to be successful no matter what you're doing. Yeah, I don't, I don't, there's there's no doubt about that. And that's listen, I cover some of the greatest athletes in the world. And they don't get to the NBA and stop practicing or stop warming up or stop trying to get better because you evolve or die, particularly at the highest level of any of these of any of these jobs. Yeah, definitely. But it must be so rewarding to be able to just cover what you love and do what you love for a living, really. It is. And I you know, it's whatever it is you do, you can easily fall into the routine of, oh, it's it's work. And it's a job and I have to go there. I have a, a thing that I do that I've always done at games, which is I try to find a moment before a game, before you're on the air, whatever, to try and find uh, some 10-year-old kid in the stands with wide eyes, thrilled to be there, looking up, and then remember for a minute that that was me and that this is what you wanted to do when you were, you were 10 years old and you're lucky enough to do it. That will sort of shake you out of, you know, you, people have bad days. Players have bad days. Broadcasters have bad days. Referees have bad days. But you got to put all that away and do your, you know, and remember you're lucky to be where you are and to deliver whatever it is you do that night. Yeah, wake up the next day and be like, it's a new day now, you know, and I can, even though I had a bad day yesterday, today can be a better day than it was and not really dwelling on days like that. Yeah, there's, there's, I think that's a truism in pretty much every phase of life, every phase of work. And uh, it certainly better be true in sports. If you're the Brooklyn Nets, you better forget about, you know, Sunday afternoon, right? And, uh, you know, you have this unbelievable chance to win a game and steal home court advantage, and you better forget it because you're, you're starting fresh for, uh, for game two. Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole thing about, you know, the NBA playoffs that makes it so fun. It's, you know, there are so many games that you can really have a chance to bounce back after a loss. It's not like a one and done type of situation like football, you know. And so if you're the Brooklyn Nets in this situation, it's like, OK, game one is behind us. Now we have to move on and really try to focus on winning game two, um, you know, and put ourselves in a better situation to succeed. And that's just how it is. And like you said, it's a good uh, comparison to what we were talking about in general with life um, and just being able to bounce back from those situations. Speaking of that game, though. That was that was an awesome game. Definitely a really fun game to watch. Really physical. Definitely super competitive um, from both teams. I mean, 
that Jason Tatum shot I was watching on replay over and over and over again after that game because that's never going to get old, I don't think. Um, but, you know, overall, a very, very good game. What were kind of your thoughts in general on how the Celtics looked coming out in their first game of the playoffs? Well, I thought there were some good things. I thought before the series, if the Celtics had Rob Williams as good as Brooklyn is, and they're one of the best seven, probably the best seven seed in NBA history, obviously a team that can compete for a championship the way they're constructed with their two iconic elite offensive players, obviously not having Ben Simmons matters. Even if they get him later in the series, it's not going to be the real Ben Simmons, you wouldn't think, after a year away. But not having Rob Williams really changes the dynamic. And the Celtics were a 500 team this year with just one starter out of the lineup at any point. So, you know, right there, it was a little bit concerning. The other number that concerns you, the Celtics were so dominant in so many ways. In the second half of the year, defensively all year, second half of the year, they were the best offensive team. All the metrics screamed that the Celtics could make a long run and are, are at the elite level in the league, except one. They could not and did not win close games all year. They were 5-16 and 16 in close games. And so you knew for the Nets to win this series, they were going to have to win a couple of games that were close, that came down to the end. That's how they were going to you know, shift the balance of not having the great depth. And they had the two guys to do it. And what struck me about game one was that really felt like the Nets' opportunity to – get one on the road. I mean, it was sort of set up for, you know, either Kyrie or Durant in this case, Kyrie going absolutely crazy and putting themselves in a position to steal one on the road. And almost everything that they could want to have happen happened until the final 30 seconds. Yeah. I mean, exactly. That's what I was going to say too, with Kyrie, with the performance he had that, that day, they really, that would have been their opportunity to really set the tone for the series and and snag a game on the road. And I mean, obviously without Rob Williams, I was super concerned too. Like, you know, initially when the reports were saying that, you know, he's definitely going to miss at least the whole first round, then it's like, okay, they need to try to make do without him, see if they can get by without him. It's really the kind of attitude that I had about it because you know obviously he makes the Celtics better and depending on what the matchups were I was like I don't know if they can even get past the first round without Rob Williams depending on who they play but you know Kyrie looked great I thought the Celtics did a really good job of containing KD the whole game I think that that was definitely something that stood out to me but even you know the fourth quarter things started to get a little sloppy in terms of the Celtics not making shots. And that was kind of falling back into what you were talking about before of not being able to win close games. And I was like, this is looking weirdly familiar. This seems like one of those games where, you know, the Celtics give up a lead. It's going to come down to the wire here. They were keeping Brooklyn in it. And I wasn't sure if they were going to be able to finish it at the end this time. The Nets shot 54%. In the game, yeah. that's the third highest total against the Celtics this year. The highest anybody has shot a visiting team at TD Garden. The highest an Eastern Conference team has shot against them all year. And the Celtics in the first half of the year clearly do not win that game. No, now, no. difference in the final 45 seconds, not only do you have an elite defensive performance against one of the great players offensively in NBA history who tried to do it all himself, uh, you had a play that wouldn't have been made in the first half of the year, which all five guys touched the ball. The ball was moving. Players are moving without the ball. And as a result of playing the perfect final 30 seconds, the Celtics stole a game that they absolutely would have lost three months ago. Yeah, that's so true. If you look back at this team from three months ago, they that, that game probably wouldn't have even been close at the end after that, that fourth quarter was going. Um, and so you, it just kind of shows, you know, the improvement that this team has made over the last few months of the season and really how fun they were to watch over the last few months and how everybody was – getting involved and contributing. And it was just, it was great to see that Celtics basketball. I mean, 
you know, game two it could be a lot different. I really don't see the Nets shooting as well as they did in game one, though. Uh, they better not, or it, it could be a short series for the Celtics. They, they are not constructed to give up 54% shooting, uh, you know, scoring-wise. They did force a lot of turnovers, and that was a big difference. The Nets should have had a lead earlier in the game, but kept turning the ball over again and again and again because of the defense on Durant and the way the Celtics played it. But Boston will need more from the bench. They'll need a lot more from Derek White. They'll need Grant Williams. And I wouldn't have minded seeing more than eight minutes from Peyton Pritchard the way he played uh, in the second half of the year. But that's the irony. Again, we all think we know are so smart that we – handicapped it like, well, the one advantage the Celtics have is that they've got more guys. They're deeper. They're going to be able to come with guys. And it was Claxton and Dragic who are two of the best players on the floor. And the Nets bench outplayed the Celtics bench. And I'll say this, if that is something you're still talking about a week from now, the Celtics uh, aren't, aren't going to get to Milwaukee. Yeah. I mean, Pam Pritchard, somebody who I really have been wanting to see get more playing time as things have progressed. I think he's, you know, shown improvement and he's somebody that, deserves more minutes I feel like and so you have to wonder if he's going to be kind of worked into that rotation a little bit more as the playoffs do progress in terms of um, just the amount of time he's getting if he is going to work him in and involve him a little bit more well he's earned it I mean in the second half of the year he was like a lot of the Celtics offensively he was sort of lost the first half of the year but he was I think third or fourth in the NBA in three-point shooting in the second half of the year I mean he was knocking it down and he is not a defensive liability. He's going to chew on your ankle and chase you around, and he's not going to win Defensive Player of the Year like his uh, backcourt mate just did on Monday. But he is uh, – I think he's earned those minutes. But you saw it with Steve Nash. He was very conservative with his rookie, with Kessler Edwards, played just a few minutes in that first play, you know, first playoff game. Obviously, Peyton was there last year, but this really feels more like a real season, and it's his high-level stuff, which, go, again, going back to Ben Simmons, it's just really unfair if the Nets – and Steve Nash clearly knows this, but it's unfair of Nets fans to think that Ben Simmons could just walk into the series after a year away and you know go at 100 miles an hour like everybody else is. It's just it, the expectations are going to be too high for him. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. And I feel like with this Celtics team right now – and, um, you know, the way that they're constructed, I mean, the bench, like you said, is going to have to be involved more. And that's how I kind of liked in this the last few months of the season. They were really able to get some more minutes out of those guys because, you know, if the Celtics had a big lead in the fourth quarter and we were able to see some of those players who don't really get a lot of minutes all the time being able to get more exposure. But now it's obviously a completely different stage because it's playoffs. And so when these guys do come into the game, they are going to have to produce and um, that's the whole thing that I'm kind of looking at here, too, as well as, yeah, you know, you can rely on your starters for the majority of the game. But then when you're sub subbing people in like this, you can't really get by with this a little bit of a lack of production from them when it comes to going deeper and deeper into the playoffs. And I do actually think that that will come. I, I think that they will be more, you know, productive Um as we kind of progress in, in these games and they kind of get more minutes. Um, but that's definitely one of the biggest things that I'm looking at. Obviously the defense is awesome. I mean, the Celtics have one of the best defenses in the NBA, but I think that's one of their strengths. Um, but I think going forward with the rest of this series, um, you know, some of these guys are going to have to do a little bit of what I saw from Grant Williams this season. Um, he's somebody who I always kind of believed in. I said, you know, I think this kid, really, as long as he's given a chance, can develop into somebody who can be an important, um, you know, player on this team. And I think that he's starting to really show that he deserves more minutes as well. And so Grant is definitely somebody to me who I'm looking at as 
who has a really good chance of um, being able to contribute and do a lot in this postseason. Well, he's one of the reasons the Celtics were the best defensive team in the league all year because they are good to very good to elite defensively at almost every spot on the floor in virtually every lineup. And Grant is so super smart. He's got every scouting report memorized. He's never going to be a liability that way because he knows exactly where to be. And this year he decided he was going to become, you know, he's going to work on a shooting. And he had a chance a couple of times to take the lead in the NBA in three-point shooting. He tailed off a little bit. At the end, Peyton Pritchard actually caught for the team late on the final day of the season. But, uh, you know, Grant is not a liability, and he may have certainly caught. you got to have those guys that you just trust in good, in important situations. And that's why uh, Grant Williams and Daniel Tice, which was an unbelievable pickup by Brad Stevens, almost foreshadowing the, the Rob Williams injury, uh, he may has a lot of guys he can trust. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Tice coming back here just seems like such a good move by, by Brad. And at the time when he did come – I was excited about it, and I think people were like, oh, yeah, I mean, Daniel Tice is familiar with Boston. This could be good. But I don't think anybody realized actually how important he was going to end up being. And obviously nobody could have predicted the Rob Williams injury. But even more so, even before that, he was – he was he was, you know, a pretty important factor, but even obviously now after that, his role is becoming so much more important. And that's why it's looking like, well, props to Brad Stevens for bringing somebody like that here. You know what I mean? And also it took Dennis Schroeder out of the mix and Dennis Schroeder had some really good games. He was a good Celtic. Josh Richardson was too, but it clogged up the rotation and it was guys who were playing a certain way, particularly Schroeder has a very deliberate style of playing, which works for him, but it wasn't the way you needed somebody who was going to compliment Jason and Jalen and make them better and play the way they needed to play. And that's why Derek White was the perfect fit there. And obviously it's ironic he's getting so much attention, finally becoming defensive player of the year. But Marcus Smart, the offensive player, Marcus Smart, the point guard, is critical in what the – I mean, the Celtics were the best offensive team in the league in the second half of the year, and yet no one still ever talks about how good a point guard offensively Marcus is, not just in general, but specifically for this team. I was just having that conversation with my friend yesterday, too, because, um, you know, obviously people had mixed feelings on Marcus Smart um, this year, more so for the offensive factor, because we all knew how good his defense was, like you said. But his offense is really, really shaping into somebody who's been super important to the Celtics team. And he, we needed him to really turn into that true point guard. And that is what he's exactly doing. And that has been a huge huge contribution to the Celtics on offense. And that's made such a difference. And you look back at, you know, earlier this season and it's like, well, we can't trust this guy offensively as, as a point guard. But now it's like, you look back on that and it's like, no, now we don't really have to worry about him from that standpoint as much because he's really, really growing into that important role of um, a point, a true point guard or what a true point guard looks like on offense and really being able to execute. And I'm with you in the sense that that's totally not talked about enough. And it's a little bit underrated, really, how much he's contributed offensively and in, in primarily the second half of the season. He's been a good point guard. I mean, obviously, this was his best year, but he's been a pretty good point guard for a couple of years now. But the natural obsession is the shots and the number of missed shots and the, the low percentage shooting threes. And obviously, his three-point percentage hasn't gone up dramatically. But he has always been a guy that tends to make them when they matter the most, number one. And number two, he's not taking as many because he doesn't have to. You don't, you don't see Marcus Smart anymore going three for 13 from three. It's more of a, you know, he goes one for three or two for five or whatever it is. And they're efficient. Obviously, some did they needed every one of those four threes. 
uh, to win game one. But he's just, you know, again, people just they want to talk about Jason Tatum, the elite offensive player, one of the best players in the league. Nobody talks about Jason Tatum's defense. Nobody talks about Marcus Smart as a point guard. Nobody talks about Al ever because Al's living his dream as being invisible. This is all he's ever wanted was to come to work and know like nobody can even see him. Doesn't have to do press conferences. Doesn't have to do interviews. Just going to go out, give you 20 and 10 at his age, 20 and 15 in game one, plays immaculate defense. And everyone just wants to talk about Jalen and Jason and, uh, you know, the guy feuding with the fans on the other side. I love Al though. And I, I love the fact that he's, that he came back here too. I just think he's somebody who, you know, with his experience and um, being the veteran that he is, is somebody who just has made a difference in the locker room, even not only on the court, but yeah, I mean, he kind of just floats in the background, just comes in, does his thing. And he's totally fine with people not really centering a lot of their attention on him, but he does what he needs to do to contribute to this team. And that's what I really like about the guy. And I was happy when, when uh, he was brought back here as well. He loved it here. He did. Yeah. He left. He left because there was going to be a much bigger offer on the table financially than the Celtics were willing or able to provide, and he begrudgingly took it. And he ended up last year not only in OKC, but they sent him home because he was helping them win games, which is not what they wanted. And as he told me the other day, he was home taking his kid to kindergarten in Atlanta yesterday during the playoffs. As I said, did you could you ever have imagined a year ago you'd be back here in this place that you loved in? in this amazing environment. And so he also, one thing I think that comes with that age at his stage of his career is you appreciate every moment of, uh, of this run. And he certainly has. Yeah, no, that that's definitely so true. And there's, there's, it's just such a special atmosphere playing in Boston. And that's something that he recognized and he knew and just being back here where he, you know, really enjoys playing here and just feels that atmosphere and can really feed off of that. I think this is really exactly where he wants to be. So for him, you can even just tell when he's out on that court that he really wants to be here and he's happy playing in Boston. And I think he knows like what this team has going and he knows that there is something special about the Celtics right now. And he just loves being a part of it and just kind of along for the ride. It seems he like he came here for that reason. He came here after the Hawks eliminated the Celtics in Boston in 2016. And the chant of the crowd was let's go Celtics for the team that had just been eliminated because they appreciated the season and the effort, all the above. And it was Al and his dad that were like, this is where you should be. It's, you know, no knock on Atlanta, but it's not the same kind of sports town as far as the passion of the fans. And it was that was during that offseason. It was that moment as the Hawks advanced in the playoffs and the Celtics were eliminated that Al thought back to when he first came here, you know, six years ago. Yeah, exactly. And that's the that's what's special about Boston. The fans are so passionate. It's really hard to find that in other sports cities. So when people come here, you know, they genuinely enjoy playing here and being part of that atmosphere. I mean, you know, Jason Tatum loves being here and it's just, it's cool when you're, you get to be part of all of that and part of that fan base and players actually talking about how special that atmosphere is to be in Boston and how they can feed off of that energy to help them perform well in, in games. It's, it's, it's just cool to be able to be kind of part of that fan base. And hopefully the next generation of players uh, see that, this is a special place to play and a special place to win. It takes somebody, you know, with thick skin to be able to play here. Obviously, it's intense, but this is what the new big three era did with Pearson, Garnett, and Ray Allen. It exposed Boston and this environment and the Celtics and the franchise and the history to a different generation of players. It said, I want to be the next guy. I want to be the next guy, the next number that goes up, uh, you know, in Boston. And this next run here, this is – generations go by a lot faster, you know, when you're my age. And all of a sudden, you realize this is a different – 
generation. I mean, we are 14 years removed from the Celtics winning the championship. Or we're nine years removed from the end of the Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett run here. And even the early Isaiah Thomas, Isaiah Thomas year was five years ago. So it changes quick. And you, you know, this is how a franchise gets perpetuated by, by making runs with different, different cast of characters. Yeah. It's so interesting to think about how long it's really been since all of that happened and just how much time has gone by since then and how much has changed and how different of a roster it's really been, how many players have come through here in that time. It's just so weird to kind of think about that. But yeah, I mean, this team, how it's made up right now, obviously, if you include um, Rob Williams as well, this is a a special team that, you know, is capable of making a run, I believe with Rob, but, you know, obviously as of right now, this series alone is going to be a challenge. I'm not exactly sure what the timeline is for Ben Simmons right now, but how much more of a challenge do you think it'll be for the Celtics to win this series if Ben Simmons returns? I think it would be extremely difficult for the Celtics to win the series if you were getting peak Ben Simmons at the height of his power a couple of years ago, fresh, having played, uninjured, and not having gone through the emotional stuff that he's obviously gone through. Here, I think there's a – listen, maybe he returns late in the series, miraculously is back to the player he was. But that seems – if I'm looking at it from a Brooklyn perspective, from a Nets fan perspective, I'd be – that seems highly unlikely based on the things that we know. It just seems unfair to ask the kid who's been through everything he's been through and some of which was self-inflicted to come back in and be the exact same player that he was because he hasn't played with these guys. And they're, they're the seventh seed. And that's why I think the series is significant with Kyrie's legacy because Brooklyn is the seventh seed having to play Boston in the first round in large part. Listen, Kevin Garnett, did, Kevin Durant didn't choose to get hurt. Joe Harris didn't choose to get hurt. Kyrie Irving made a choice to basically only play 20 games this year, as opposed to 65 or 70. And we all know he's that remarkable player that the Brooklyn Nets would not be the seventh seed if Kyrie had chosen to play this year. So that's why it's almost like you broke it. You're the one who has to fix it. And for 47 minutes and 15 seconds in game one, it looked like he was about to. Yeah, there's so much pressure on him in this series. There's a lot of eyes on him to really prove himself. And it's, it's, you know, with him and his history in Boston and all of that too, and coming back to Boston is definitely a factor in this in this whole thing as well when it comes to Kyrie and just there's so much for him and so many reasons for him to have a really good series and show that he can kind of take this team um you know into the next round and I think when you look at the Nets as a seven seed it's like nobody wanted to play Brooklyn in the first round nobody was looking at the Brooklyn as a seven seed and being like oh no that's a team that I feel pretty confident to be able to beat because like you said they're so much better than a seven seed they just nobody wanted to really play them in the first round. And I'm looking at the Celtics and the Nets and I'm saying, yeah, overall, this is a pretty relatively even matchup in terms of um, who's capable to come out of the series. I do think that it has the capability to go seven games. However, I still think the Celtics kind of have the edge, even like a Robert Williams less Celtics team still has the edge in this series. I think even if you add Bet Simmons, because Rob Williams like we said before, obviously is a much more significant of a loss in the series, considering all the circumstances than Ben Simmons is for Brooklyn. And we obviously don't know how, how Simmons is even going to fit in with this Brooklyn team or what his role really is going to be because he hasn't gotten a chance to play. So how are we supposed to 
know how he's going to show up and what he's really going to do to contribute. In theory, he's the perfect piece with Durant and Kyrie Irving because he's a defender who can cover them. With Kyrie, listen, Kyrie's never going to be a great defender, but you don't need him to be because he is he's Kyrie Irving, but it helps. And by the way, the other one no one talks about here because, listen, Ben Simmons, that's sexy. Kyrie Irving battling with Boston and the fans. That's a sexy storyline. The one, the guy no one's talking about here is the injury to Joe Harris and how big that was in this series and not having that extra shooter, especially with Seth Curry banged up, you know, the way he is and he had a decent start in game one. But that's why, you know, Celtic fans had a right, I think, to feel decent about the series going in because this isn't the Brooklyn Nets at the height of their power. It's two guys certainly capable of stealing four games and winning the series, but it is pretty demoralizing when they have the games that they had, particularly Kyrie, and you let that that first one slip away because you don't know how many chances you'll get like that. Yeah, and that's if I'm a Brooklyn fan, that's such a gut-wrenching thing to have to watch at the end of game one. And just looking at that and being like, wow, we really that's a, a huge missed opportunity there because now it's like you go into game two and it's like your team probably isn't going to shoot that well in game two. You know, the Celtics have the defense that they have and the Celtics have the momentum because they just came off of a really, really like that intense win in game one. Tatum with that shot at the end, like the Celtics have so much momentum going into game two right now. And it's like, if I'm a Brooklyn fan, like I'm a little nervous about that in terms of, Oh, you know, how confident do I really feel now? And before the series started, I was asking around to Celtics and Nets fans, who do you think wins the series? How many games does it go? A lot of Nets fans were saying Nets win in seven Celtics fans were saying about Celtics in six, maybe Celtics in seven. I'm looking at it now, and the Celtics winning game one at home, winning game one in general in a playoff series is huge, but winning game one the way that the Celtics did, I feel like it's just going to be proved to be huge going forward in the rest of the series when it comes to how it's approached from both teams. And I think from a Celtics standpoint, I'm looking at that game one win and feeling actually a little bit more confident going into game two than I did going into game one. Well, here's the point is that, 72 hours is a long time to go in between games and to feel good or bad. And it's going to be another 72 hours based on what happens on Wednesday night. If the Nets win by one on Wednesday night, it's going to be another three days of the, the Nets pulled it together in time. And now they've got home court and they're going to start their run towards a championship. And they're going to get Ben Simmons back. And that's a long time to have conversations like this leading up to game three, which could turn the whole thing again. But uh, game one is very important, but, Game one in a seven-game series is game one in a seven-game series. And it's a minuscule part. It just It's going to get – these first two games are going to be amplified because the series is so stretched out. And that's the whole thing, too. It's like it'd be one thing if it was every other day there was a game. I feel like it could be a little bit different in terms of the momentum aspect of, okay, yeah, we're just coming off a really good win, and then a couple nights later you do the same thing again. But now it's like, you know, this is this is a good amount of time in between games that it's both teams can kind of reflect on that game, figure out what they might need to do to adjust some things for game two. And the Nets could come out with a completely different approach and look completely different in game two. And that's what kind of makes it really fun. But it's also stressful in between that time of wondering, OK, how are they going to look when they come out in game two? There's no guarantee the Celtics are going to look the same way they did and vice versa with Brooklyn. So you have to really wonder, you know, being able to snag that game at home is, is definitely, is definitely good because you don't want to lose game one of a playoff series at home. That's tough, but you know, anything can really happen the rest of the series. And when you're playing Brooklyn, 
And obviously when you have guys named Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on that team, you know, you do need to be playing your best basketball. And I think the Celtics know that and they were, but you know, you're, it's, it's, it's hard to play perfect basketball every game of a seven game series. So that's why it's you really never know what's, what's going to come in, you know, these next few games. And all I'll say about the game tomorrow night and each of these games that come up is that Tatum Brown, Durant Irving, we're going to be talking about a fifth person, an X factor who's going to change these games. And that's the person we're going to be talking about. It could have been Dragic or Claxton if the Nets had won, you know, at, at one game one, obviously they didn't, nobody thought Al would be the best player on the floor in yeah. game one. And that's the beauty of these playoff series that the stars are going to do what they do, but it's going to be decided by Seth Curry hitting seven threes, Peyton Pritchard coming off the bench, making a bunch of shots, Derek White making a defensive stop, Claxton coming in, playing center instead of Drummond, changing the dynamic. That's going to be what turns these, turns, turns these games around. Yeah, Celtics definitely don't win that game without Horford, and people definitely were talking about that because nobody expected it, um, him to be that guy, but that he was so key in that game. And it's, you know, yeah, like you said, you obviously know Tatum and Brown are going to come out and perform, and that's just – that's just common, but it's it's everybody else who from who from everybody else is going to be that guy that people look at after the game. Like, oh, the Celtics don't win without Grant Williams, or the Celtics don't win without Derek White, or whoever it may be in that game. That is that difference maker, and that's why it's going to be fun to see each game. It might be different, but I I still do think, um, you know, obviously I am a Celtics fan, so that that's you hope that they win the series, but I do think that they have the capability to win the series. And I think ultimately that, you know, they do. And then we hope that Rob can come back um, and hopefully contribute because obviously the Eastern conference is tough and this is going to be a grind to get through the Eastern conference in general, if they do get past Brooklyn, because there's a lot of good teams in the East right now, it's a really, really competitive conference. So who else in the East are you concerned about going forward? If the Celtics get past this series and potentially would have to play going forward. Well, I think the irony is if the Celtics are fortunate enough to get by the Nets and get to Milwaukee in round two, that it was the Bucks, the way the Bucks and Celtics played the final day of the season differently. It, wouldn't it be ironic if three and a half weeks from now we're talking about a Milwaukee-Boston series coming down to a seventh and deciding game, and that game is in Boston instead of in Milwaukee because the Bucks messed around with the last day? That would be so. That would that would be so ironic. That really would be so ironic. But that would be a an incredible series though. That would be such a good series. I mean, I, I, I would, I would be really excited for something like that. I mean, honestly, when it comes to the bucks though, I was a little bit surprised at, you know, how close that game was with the bulls. I actually thought that the bucks were going to kind of um, dominate that game, but you know, I think the bulls, they're a good team this year. And I think they're going to keep that series competitive. I still think that Milwaukee wins that series, but I think that the Bulls keep it closer than people might think that they will. I think the games might be close. I'm not sure the series will be in terms of games. I think Milwaukee is still the best team. They're still the team to beat. That's the beauty. We've been waiting for Eastern Conference playoffs like these for a quarter century where there's five teams that have a legitimate chance not only to get to the finals but win it when they get there, which is why you have a series like this in the first round with Boston and Brooklyn and why the path is good. This is the toughest path an Eastern Conference team will have to get to the finals in, in decades. 
Yeah, and that's the whole thing, too. You look at all these teams and how close, even at the end of the regular season, how much it came down to the wire with seedings and how close these teams really were to each other at the end of the season and how much of a grind it was knowing who was going to be what seeding going into the playoffs. That was all really stressful in itself, but that just really showed, you know, how competitive the Eastern Conference really is. And the past few years, it really has always been, oh, the Western Conference is better. You know, this is the dominant conference. There's a lot better teams in the West. The East is, you know, good, but not as good. Now we are looking at it as there's a lot of competitive teams in the East that are pretty balanced in terms of how ta- how much talent can- is on these teams. And you're looking at all these teams that are that are here in the Eastern Conference right now. And you can look at a lot of these teams and be like, yeah, this team has the capability to go all the way. So does this team. And so does this team. And so if the Celtics are going to get to the finals, they're really, really going to have to earn it. There's going to be some tough matchups, going to be some tough teams to go through. And if they do come out of the Eastern conference and go to the finals, then we can look back on all this and say, wow, they really, really, really grinded it out and earned their way to the finals this year because this Eastern conference is so tough. And that's what, this is what basketball fans really love watching. And that's why there's going to be a lot of close games and, tough series that they're going to have to go through if they want to get all the way. But I do think, you know, the Celtics obviously just as much as anybody else have a chance to get there. And I think we are, we're always talking about how in the past, you know, the Celtics were young they had young players, which they do, they still do, but you know, Tatum and Brown have the playoff exposure. Now they have these veterans on the team who have been in Boston before are used to this atmosphere as well. I think it's a pretty good balanced team now. And, um, you know, the bench is showing some promise, too. So I think all of that being taken into consideration, I think they have a really good shot. It's just it's it's just a tough conference. There's just so obviously it's health is a huge thing, too, who's going to stay healthy throughout the, the whole, um, you know, postseason. But also just it's it, it's just there's a ton of tough teams. So if they. This is one of those years where you really, really want the Celtics to do it, but it's also like, wow, of course, this is such a tough year in the Eastern Conference that you never really know any of these teams can come out and um, and really go all the way. And it would be pretty crazy. Obviously, I don't want Brooklyn to win, but it'd be crazy, pretty crazy to see Brooklyn as a seven seed kind of maneuver way their way through as well. Yeah, people will talk about the winner of the series as being the favorite in the East because it's going to be a monumental task to get through it. But that's – Hey, let's go play. That's the beauty of it. All these conversations like we're having are fun, but let's play the games. Yeah, no, definitely. That's the whole thing, too. And I mean, even with the Western Conference, the Western Conference is pretty fun right now. But I mean, who who do you who is your pick to come out of the Western Conference this year? I'm not sure. Listen, I you see things through your own picks. I thought the Bucks and the Suns were going to rematch. I thought that opening night. So I see no reason. I see reasons to change my mind, but I'm not going to because they've come this far and it still could happen. So no reason to uh, to abandon that now. I mean, I think Phoenix has just been so phenomenal since the bubble. They're, they've won like 80% of their games since the bubble, and that's not that's not a fluke. They, too, have two elite all-star players. They, too, have defensive player of the year candidate who easily could have won in Mikhail Bridges. So um, I think, you know, people are familiar with Golden State. Fun to watch in Memphis, Minnesota, have a, a first-round series among these sort of young buck teams. But – this is Phoenix conference to lose. And I think the advantage they have is that their road to the finals will be easier than whoever gets there from the East. That's the whole thing too. Yeah. I, I, they, the Suns were my pick as well. I think they're, 
super good. I mean, I think obviously Chris Paul, this is his time, you know, everyone, a lot of people are ready to see him win a ring um, finally. And I think, you know, obviously Devin Booker is super fun to watch as well. Phoenix in general is just a super fun team. I was rooting for them last year too, to come out of the West. I think, you know, they're, they, I just see them as above everybody else in the Western conference. And obviously, you know, I don't want to rule out the Warriors because they're, they're really good, you know, and I think that they have a genuine chance as well. But I think when it comes to Phoenix, when they lost in the finals last year, like they really are hungry this year. And and you can see that. And I think whoever comes out of the East, if they have to play Phoenix, that's going to be a tough series. But I would love, absolutely love to see it's Celtic Suns finals. I think that would be an incredible matchup. I think that'd be super fun to watch. I think, you know, Tatum and Booker being out there would be super fun to see. And that would be, I think, somebody that that to me would be a series that a lot of people, a lot of NBA fans would love to watch. I think that would just be so competitive, and that's what I'm pulling for right now. That's what I'm hoping for. From your lips to the basketball god's ears, right? Yeah. I mean, if I speak it into existence now, maybe it'll actually happen, uh, and that's maybe we'll be having this conversation about uh, that being the finals you know, down the road, but that I just think that would be so fun to watch. That would be my ideal situation would be, obviously, the Celtics making it there and Phoenix being who they see on the other side. And uh, we go back to that's where the turnaround started for the Celtics. So that would be sort of a full circle thing. That New Year's Eve game, a lot of people point to that is when they really were starting to put it together. And they, they Chris Paul didn't play in that game, but uh, the Celtics handled them pretty good. It is, though. It really, really is, though. It seemed like just kind of a just they t- took a little bit of a 180 at that point there. They gained so much more confidence. They started winning a lot of games because a lot of those frustrating losses they had earlier on in the season prior to that weren't happening anymore they were beating good teams they were showing you know what we knew that they could do and what they could be and that really was the turning point that everyone's looking at so that's why it would be ironic if you know we look back at the season and those are the teams playing in the finals um you know because everything just kind of coming full circle at that point yeah i'm just looking forward to having more than one game to look back on yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, this is, this is fun. It's definitely super fun. I mean, the, the playoffs are definitely a different animal, but super fun to watch. I'm excited to see kind of who steps up to, in tomorrow night's game for the Celtics and beyond that and the rest of the games of this series, who are going to be those guys that, you know, come off the bench that might um, really contribute and be important factors in these games and be the ones that we're looking back on like, Oh, good for, you know, so-and-so Derek white in this game and, or whoever you people that don't really talk about as much. So I'm excited for those types of players to kind of come out of their shell and show that, you know, they are an important factor to this team. So that's going to be definitely a storyline to look out for with the Celtics overall. But I'm excited to see how this plays out. going to be super fun to watch the rest of this series you know, definitely going to be on the edge of my feet. They will not fail to do that because I was literally on the edge of my seat and it's Sunday's game in those last 30 seconds. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is scary. And I think that's going to be the situation in every game. The Celtics never fail to do that in big games, but it, it, it's going to be fun, fun playoffs. going to be fun to watch some of these other games, see who else, um, you know, might stack up. But overall, looking forward to, you know, these next, uh, next uh, few games coming up here. So Definitely appreciate you hopping on the show with me. Um, everybody, you know, always appreciate. I know I say this every time, but always appreciate everybody tuning into the show. Really means a lot to me, all the support everyone shows. Um, go Celtics. 
Hope everyone has a fantastic rest of your week. And um, I will talk to you all next time. Have a great night, everybody.